Hello and welcome to episode 13 of Everything Hurts, a podcast covering everywhere the life sciences meets the biological sciences. My name is Dan Quintana from the University of Oslo and I'm joined here by my co-host James Heathers. I noticed we've dropped the doctors. What's with the doctor dropping? You used to say you were Dr. Dr. Daniel uh, Santiago Quintana. I, I kind of change about, you know, no one no one uses Dr. here in, in Norway. No one uses Dr. It's, it's, a, it's a funny thing. It's the biggest deal in the world until you've got one, and then you spend your entire life surrounded by people where everyone's a doctor and absolutely no one says it. Can you, yeah. um, can you imagine meeting someone in the, in the corridor in Australia who had a PhD and greeting them as doctor? They'd think you were being sarcastic. Yeah, it would ne- it would never happen. But I thought the situation was a bit different in the states, or am I just completely wrong? No, I've not seen any evidence of that here so far. Um, maybe there's labs that are more formal than the ones I've seen, but yeah. you know, it's, I think scientists are the same just about everywhere. Maybe maybe there's very formal parts of Austria or somewhere <laughs> where everyone's. A, I don't know. Look, I have. Uh, if you've uh, that's a good that's a good question. Question for the week. Do people in your country use the word doctor when referring to each other formally? If I've, they do, we think it's weird. <laughs> I, I, I've actually heard that it's um, legally in Germany you have to. Legally? There's some, yeah, there's something around it. Around the um, There's a lot of um, legalities around the, the actual title of doctor. I know Where? they like to stack titles, so you get um, Doctor Herr, Herr Professor Doctor lives down the road, uh, bought himself a ferret. Uh, <laughs> it's has, all there. Has has only nine toes. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Fix your business, Germany. So yeah, how have we got distracted before we started? Is I this know. my fault? Yeah, it's probably probably a bit of both of us. But yeah, that's good. <laughs> let's let's share the blame and uh, and focus. So uh, we've um, been talking over the past few weeks about um, an episode on academic horror stories, and we've hey. finally, we've finally, finally got round to it. We've and um, we're finally there, and it's it's lucky number thirteen. Yeah, yeah. Isn't that just the best? So we've we've got a we've got a few people um, contacting us with these with these stories. So why don't you uh, kick us off, James? Um. Well, I've. Uh... Uh, a, a couple, a couple were sent to me. Uh, one, uh, I've no idea who this person is. Uh, thank you, thank you for your. I don't know. It's this oddly confessional aspect to things. It's quite uh, exciting in a way. Um, the story isn't exciting. It's horrible. Um, perhaps perhaps, but, uh, perhaps I, before I, we go in, maybe we should give a bit of bit of context about why, because it was more a, a few episodes ago. That will that we've been you know talking about these issues. Yeah, yeah, and we 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 try to catch up on current events as we go. So if yeah. something happens during the week, and we think because it's a, obviously a podcast is topical. So you say you're going to do something, and then it turns out being three weeks ago. Yeah, yeah. So go on, con- context this, young man. Yeah. So a, a few episodes ago, um, we were we were talking about how, at least for our careers, we've actually gotten off pretty well, to be honest. And uh, you hear about all this stuff happening out hmm. there. Uh, about people being being uh, being mistreated, um, but um, it hasn't actually happened to us, which 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 is which is great for us. And yeah, you know, I've I've had some really very uh, I had some very trying situations and some very bad luck, really. But I wouldn't say I'd been victimized by anything. Yeah, you know, it wasn't it wasn't deliberate. It was more circumstances being terrible than people being terrible. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And I think that also kind of plays into this idea that uh, you know a lot of academic success rides on luck, or rides. Yeah, on luck. well, yeah, I think we're we're both we're both big bit believers in the uh, the luck hypothesis, and I I think that you you should be to to keep your perspective on what you do in the right kind of proportion. Well. well Carrying on from that, um, we we did speak about the CV of failures. People, I saw someone actually post their CV of luck. And the CV of luck and privilege, where they actually listed all the situations where they got lucky, as kind of a, um, mm. which was pretty much exactly what we were speaking about. A much, few, uh, much harder to quantify. Yeah, yeah. You know. So how do you know? I mean, you applied for something, it goes away, and it comes back. It's got a certain sort of hit rate. How do you know? Say you were applying for a grant, and the success rate is like one of these, uh, these big box NSF. Uh, 
grants, the ones that are funded by the National Science Foundation in the United States. Yeah. And some of the grant streams have a success rate of about 10%, and you get a really big one funded. How do you know that's necessarily lucky? An element of luck is involved, but it is, at the end of the day, also supposed to be judged objectively. How do you know you've done a really good one? What element of that is luck and what element of that is the fact that you've prepared a good application? I think if there's a CV of luck, you're meeting the right person at the right time who just happens to help you, that could you know, that but, could, that's, that's, well, that's much easier to say that was a lucky situation. Yeah, but from Then it is the, to say I went for something that was particularly low percentage and it worked out. Well, it might have worked out because, uh, because of a number of things. Maybe there were less applications than usual. Well, that's luck. Yeah, but how are you ever going to know? You're not going to know. Maybe yeah. your application was really good. That's somewhat quantifiable. Uh, so I'd like to see the CV of luck. Yeah, I'll see if I can find it and post it. From from memory, a lot of the stuff they were looking at was looking way, way back. Like my parents gave me a loan for a car. I was able to afford, I found a... Uh, oh, know, I see. So, okay. so really far okay. back. Not, not, not Sorry, when we talk about academic horror stories, I thought you were talking about academic luck stories, but you're talking no. about I was born into a middle-class family not living in the dirt, scratching for worms with the chickens kind of luck. Yeah, and then I... It's obviously I met... sort of more important for the rest of your life. For the life rest of the, rest of other, the world. <laughs> yeah, other, other, other minor things like that. I mean, obviously, there's a huge systematic bias with stuff like that. There has to be. Yeah, yeah. So I'll, I'll see if I can dig it up. But I saw it and I'm like, this is, this is perfect. So we'll, um, we'll have a look at that. That's but... good. Um, I, I, I hope I'm not too cynical in saying there's a good 20 minutes in <laughs> <laughs> Oh, look at the somewhat systematic examination of privilege and go, oh, yeah, it'll make a good half hour. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's ghoulish. But speaking of ghoulish. Well, let's let's circle back. So you you got one person who was, uh, or you were speaking about one person which contacted you. Contacted no, 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 no. I have five. Okay. Let's talk about the first one. Um, well, one I, uh, one I actually, I, I found. Um, well, I shouldn't say I found it. Someone told me where to look. Mm-hmm. Um, do you know the website Gorka? They mainly publish uh, grainy photos of celebrities' <laughs> testicles. I do know of Gorka. Yeah, uh, it's it's awful. It's a sewer, and I don't visit it because I don't care. And they managed to partially redeem themselves by having quite a long series of stories about adjuncts working in the United States. You know what an adjunct is? Yes. Okay. Uh, if, if anyone doesn't know, an adjunct is a by semester contract based employee who has very little money and no job security whatsoever. They are treated like dirt in the US and it's how a lot of teaching gets done at colleges that don't have a lot of permanent research staff or that are low on money or are just sort of more exploitative than you'd really care for them to be. Um, they've got some real labor problems in this country. Um, and obviously that goes everywhere, but the way it pops its head up, uh, especially at the, the rough end of the academic wedge, is with adjunct work. So you might have something like a, a course, let's say uh, intermediate psychology or something, a cognition in neuroscience, and you teach it for a certain amount of hours over a certain period of time. Uh, you get paid a, a flat rate for the whole thing. Mm. And something that by uh, the standards of many other countries would be embarrassing. Uh, And people stitch a bunch of these contracts together, hope they continue to get them and try to survive, you know, with uh, 10 years formal training to do a thing. And then you end up working from contract to contract like a um, like a scratchy journalist from 50 years ago. Yeah, it's unbelievable just reading these stories. Have you you seen this? uh, The ones I'm talking about? Ah, uh, a story in Gorka does ring a bell, but um... oh, there were there were a series, so I don't think okay. you've seen the ones I okay. mean. You might have seen one of them. Um, yeah. I, I, this is, I, I pinched this from one of the sections because uh, it's someone who's obviously in the humanities and writes very well. Um, <laughs> so no, it's a, I think it encapsulates something really well. It's only about it's only a few sentences. Um, I'm going to read it for you because that's fun. Are you ready? Yeah. Okay. Um, we obviously we can find this on. The online 
groaning sewage pipe that is Gorka <laughs> and refer to it. I don't want to use their stuff without attribution as much as the website should be scoured from this earth with a thermal lance. But here we go. The dominantly older white guys running academia never had job markets like this. Professor after professor will tell stories about how they got their first job and their CVs when they landed those jobs wouldn't get them to the interview stage nowadays. They like to think it is a meritocracy and entirely forget how different their experiences were, let alone how much they benefit from the free labor adjuncts and graduate students as well who also get hosed. I had one colleague who got his first job in the 1970s. He published no papers as a student, was offered a job that wasn't even advertised internationally, and earned tenure at an R1 school with no funded grants. He now believes that newly minted PhDs with fewer than three papers are risky hires and expects everyone to have a well-developed finding portfolio when they apply. People who land jobs easily are just as bad, often thinking that it is all a meritocracy or assuming that their experiences and opportunities are universal. Oh, and I yeah. think that I think that very well sums up some of the things that we've tried to we've tried to hint at yeah. talking about this in the last little while. Are, um, we, are we minting too many PhDs? Oh God, yes. Cause, Do you not think so? Well, I, I think so, absolutely. It depends. It depends entirely on the area. Uh, it depends on the area of the country to some degree. Yeah. Um, but in general, in general, yes. Uh, systems require them at a structural level to get a lot of stuff done. But wasn't that the case a, ages ago? Like, who who was getting stuff done? What do you mean? Is, like, you know, obviously we need PhD students, or PhD students and postdocs run the whole machine. That's, yes. how the, that's how the system is now. Well, you know, what we don't have a lot of the time is professional scientists. Yeah, okay. But what was happening... More, to- common, more common in some countries than others, but, you know, yeah. it's, it's perfectly perfectly possible a lot of the time, and no shame attached to the idea oh, that yeah. you can just work doing science and people will pay you a wage to do the work. You're mm. not really a postdoc as much as you're a person who just continually works in research at the university. Yeah. Um, do, and you know it's the other thing as well is of course is that the, the money's being shuffled around it's not being shuffled into sometimes even what here are called tenure track positions the chances of you being able to get a job where they can't throw you out into the street at a moment's notice are much thinner than they used to be mm. there's a there's a, you look there's a hundred articles with graphs and stuff on this I don't want to get too bogged down in this because I want to get to individual people's depressing stories rather than talking about the depressing market conditions that they come out of Oh, but just... Oh. <laughs> is that a shit sentence? Far out. I, I do remember seeing this um this graphic where looking at the, the pathways of, of PhD students, and I think it was a uh, half a percent actually make full professor. Um, uh, yes, but tenured, tenured professor proper. Yeah, how's your, about how's your father? Percent. How's your father professor? The kind, the kind that you imagine foolishly when you're relatively junior. Yeah, the and I think a lot of it is you know people actually I think people actually know these stats they know how hard it is but they fall for that fallacy going well that's going to be me I'm that person I'm I don't w-. I don't necessarily agree with you I think there's something else at work and it's the fact that uh, people don't know I think they don't know far more than they think they can beat the odds I think okay. we were comparatively okay. I think we were comparatively well informed as well as going into a system where we had a lot of individual control, um, good access. And you remember what I was like during my PhD. Imagine what would have happened if you tried to stop me from doing something. <laughs> no, what would have happened? If I had an idea and I was going to go, right, I'm doing this, this is a good idea, this is my if research. I, if I tried to stop you. If anyone tried to stop me. Yeah, you'd just, you'd just do the thing. Yeah. A lot, of, a, lot, a lot of independence, which a lot of people don't have. Yeah, tons. Yeah. But the other thing is because mainly because of bad luck is I, I spent um at that point in time I I spent more than three years in a two year masters <laughs> for reasons what, what, we what was that sorry why why was that oh because uh my supervisor's mother was murdered okay yeah that's wow. a that's oh. a that's a long story yeah um, yeah. Yeah, uh, that has a, a tendency to put a crimp in your regular meeting schedule, especially when the person who uh, murders her uh, is his brother. Far out. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Um. But you know, so at that at that point in time, uh, you can't go. Oh, 
oh, he's missed the meeting. Of course you don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's the easiest situation in the world to have sort of understanding and compassion for the circumstances. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't get your masters done, but there are, you feel like there are more important things. And no, I didn't know how to represent myself or comply. I didn't know what was normal at all. I just sort of took it. Yeah. And um, I think people were trying to be very diplomatic about the whole thing. And uh, it just wound on far, far too far. But, you know... That um that in itself it becomes its own learning condition. What did I do in the meantime? Became very very good at knowing the stuff. Hopefully, fingers crossed, became good <laughs> at um knowing what I was supposed to be doing. Mm. Um, would you like another horror story? Let's do it. Okay. Uh. Okay, this is a good one. He was my secondary supervisor by default because my primary left and no one else worked on my topic in our department. He never, and I do mean never, met with me until I was shuffled off to work with him. When we started, he took extreme issue with my topic, and I took issue with him taking issue and stayed with it. Uh, we never had a good relationship after this, uh, especially because he was wrong and my thesis was extremely successful. However, <laughs> this is, that's good. No, no, no I, I know, I know where this is coming from, and that's not an exaggeration. If anything, that's underselling it. However, all the papers that came from this, all of which he was included on, he did literally nothing. No work, literally zero on a huge corpus of papers that I got published essentially independently. Emails went unanswered, and I just put up with it. I started to branch out myself at the end of my thesis and decided to start writing a summary paper myself of all my own work. This was a review paper which obviously contains an opinion rather than data that had been collected under the rubric of my degree. Mm. The paper sailed straight through review and everything was fine until he found out and went absolutely ballistic. Uh, he made me withdraw the accepted paper, grovel oh. and apologize to the editor and resubmit with his name on the paper on the threat of having me thrown out of the department. You can imagine how the editor of the journal sees me now. The paper made it out of review but only just. I guess the process made them suspicious, seeing, as far as they were concerned, I was the kind of credit-taking arsehole who'd try such a stunt. My PhD was definitely more successful than most, but I have no hesitation in saying this was 100% to do with my bloody-mindedness and in spite of this environment. Uh, I'd say he was unpleasant to be around, but we never spent any time together. He was literally the opposite of a mentor. I thought of him as a kind of a fat white Mugabe. <laughs> <laughs> Now, that the the the, fir <laughs> the first half of the story is just so familiar. Like it, it almost just seems normal. Um, when it gets when it, when it starts, you know, when it comes to the authorship thing, that's when it gets a bit hairy. Um, not, okay, when I say normal, I don't mean it's okay, but in hmm. the sense that I've just I've heard that variations in that story so many times, and it it almost it almost you know becoming normal that that sort of thing but when do you it, mean specifically the the credit taking yeah just 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 the credit taking this isn't something that i've I mean, I, I've, I've been as i said before i've been lucky personally but um just you hear from colleagues just story after story of this credit taking um which is um almost just become com you know completely normal but then to get to the point where you um have to retract your own paper grovel grovel to the editor that you were wrong um, and resubmit with the uh, with the supervisor. Mm. Man, at which man. at which point in time, and the editor's saying, "Well, hang on a minute. Um, I should probably send this for a reasonably suspicious review. I mean, it has the potential to spike the paper completely, and all you're writing is your opinion of your own work." Oh. Oh, I mean, how does I mean at, at that point in time, any future submission to this? Uh, I imagine that's a fairly specialty topic. If you're writing an opinion on your own, I mean, your own PhD contains stuff on one specific individual topic, yeah. so it's going to a specialty journal. Now, the editor of that specialty journal, unless you meet them and tell them what was happening, which is also considered kind of bad form, as much as they should probably know at some point. Mm. Um, teaching people to know their rights and get control over this and then teaching departments to give a shit when students bring them concerns like this is a huge problem. And one that I ducked entirely by the fact that, um, I mean, stuff during my PhD, I had two sole author papers 
um, a paper with you, um, a paper that had a lot of authors, but there was so many that no one could tell me what to do. It's like, you know, I did all the stuff and then there's five other authors, so what else is going to happen? I, I think you've uh, missed our, um, our famous uh, letter to the editor. Oh, I didn't include that in my PhD. <laughs> okay. We wrote that. We wrote that in an afternoon. Yeah. Don't you remember what happened? You turned up and it was right, and I went, "This is oh shit! I hate it. Fuck off, Dan! You rotten human being!" And then rewrote all of it and gave it back to you. And you went, "Oh, we'll, we'll, we'll slap it about a bit." And then you did a bit more writing and references. We looked at the clock and I was like, "Oh, oh, it's only it's only lunchtime time, Tuesday. Time, time, time Send for a it in. Yeah. But you have you know it's up to some asinine amount of citations because no one's actually read the text but look <laughs> us us publishing an absurdly successful letter that we're slightly ashamed of is um not <laughs> is is not the point here yeah um yeah your credit credit ta- how do you where would you put the uh, on the scale of academic sins where would you put credit taking uh oh what, what with 10 being the worst yeah uh i'd Oh, I mean, it depends on the degree to upward, somewhere around the middle. Mm. I mean, it's, 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 it's bad, um, but it's just so entrenched. Um, well, you re- you remember Dante and the circles of hell. Yeah. Um, when you start off with one and it's people like the, oh God, I think street swindlers and, and common prostitutes and people, people who are fine, really, but were essentially a little bit naughty, really in the, the eyes of a 16th century poet. And then it goes all the way down to the ninth circle of hell, where Satan is frozen with the betrayer of Caesar and the betrayer of Christ. Um, how do I know that? Um, never mind. So that's the ninth circle. So you're going about a five for that. Yeah, so I think that's somewhere in the middle. Not that it's not a bad thing, but that th- there is much worse that okay. can be done. You know, it's not... F- Wow, it's not fraud, but um, you know, it, it's a lot of these journals actually say we abide by these, um, uh, you know, co-authorship rules. People must have done X, Y, Z, and everyone signs it. But whether you know that's actually the truth is an, is another story. Yeah, that is really the the problem when people are like, oh well, everyone does it, and you're you're coerced into signing an agreement where your co-author is useless. Um, I think that's a the problem for people who do that is that you. I've I've the few cases of of people who have I've been around who've done that will forever be stuck in my mind as hacks, mm. and I don't like them. Um, I've been very clear about the fact that I don't like them. If they ever do work that I disagree with, um, then well, I have to have a conversation with them. Really? Yeah. Um, so I mean, it's a good way to annoy people. Um, I have the opposite problem. Like, if someone puts me on a paper, I get papers now, like fifth, sixth, seventh author out of nine. Um, I've done some stuff. One of the analyses, gone through the text, fixed some stuff up, changed everyone's English if there's um, uh, non-English speaking authors. Done enough, certainly, to be included, but then the paper gets spiked or it goes for a major review and I start going, oh, I could completely redo the whole thing. And you go, well, act like a fifth author for once, James, because maybe they don't want you to redo the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, if I got too keen about that, I could try and push people away from their own stuff. So there is a balancing act. And I try not, obviously, I try not to do that because, you know, it has to, it has to live or die on its feet. And when they're completely sick of it, maybe something else. You want to hear a really bad one? Yeah. So, okay. But before we get there, so do you, where, where do you think it sits on a scale of one to 10 or one to nine? I, I think, I think about the middle is right. It's extremely common, but I, I think it's a, um, a lot worse than most people think it is. Um, I've always had a big problem with it. And people who've talked to me about it, I've always said, um, you should talk to someone. You should talk to someone within the university. And if it's really bad at the end of the day, if you don't sign off on the journal, on the thing in the journal, then um, it doesn't actually get published. The moment it actually gets stuck in, so you have leverage. Yeah. Oh, but they'll get upset. I don't care if they get upset. You have to have an adult conversation with them about what's happening. Yeah, yeah. If it's not cool, if it's not cool, it's not cool. Now, a lot of people can't handle their business. Like, I mean, say you're a first-year PhD student and you've got another four years with the same psychopath and you're following my advice about being a reasonable adult and standing up for yourself, but you're essentially dealing with someone who's a massive child. <laughs> How far is that going to get you? 
Ah, oh, it's just yeah. It is I'm, a completely I'm, untenable situation. Yeah, but at the same time, though, if you're a first year, like, what sort of first year would be actually writing papers without the direction of of the supervisor anyway? So, yeah. well, that entirely, I'd say that entirely depends on the circumstances, doesn't yeah. it? You have plenty of people who come into you came into a PhD having worked in the same situation as a fully as a full time RA for a year and a half or something, didn't you? Yeah, that was seamless. So, I mean, the, my, our best example is probably you, you donkey. <laughs> I mean, I don't have to leave this conversation for an example of someone. Yeah, but, 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 yeah, but, but, but in this case, you know, the, um, yeah, everyone deserved, uh, deserved all the shit. So, hmm. yeah. All right. All right, Tough. let's, um, let's, have let's a bad move one? on to the next one. Yeah. Okay. This is, um, uh, we're going to read this, and then I think I'm going to have to get a glass of water because it's a little bit longer, and uh, we, we're going to need going to feel like you need a shower when you're done with this. All right. I am a sixth year PhD student. Only four people have finished a PhD under my supervisor in about eight years. That's mm. a good start. Mm. Unfortunately, the university does not care much since the funding they provide is good. Everything is slow. Caps, caps now, slow. S-L-O-W. Everyone is wasting everyone else's time. The data we collect is no good. I had not talked to or emailed my supervisor, actually, in two months. But tomorrow I will just keep trying to press forward. Here's the best story. I submitted the table of contents for my dissertation literature review a few years back. He okayed it. I can't turn in anything other than the final version, he said. So I spent three months working on it every day for hours and hours and almost killed myself in the process. I wasn't married back then. I finished it. I handed it back in and the response was, What is this? I did not okay this and it is all wrong. Throw it away and start over and you should be doing your first three empirical studies first. Really? It's all wrong. All 50 pages and 256 references of it. Yet he told me to start on it before I had begun the studies. I was so pissed off I couldn't talk to him for weeks. And it was a verbal conversation, so I had no proof that it was approved. Now I do everything via email, so I have a record of what is approved or not. I keep every revision, since almost all of them end up going back to earlier revisions in the process. There's so, so many other inefficiencies. Many of them are based around the fact that I am not allowed to send him anything that isn't ready to be submitted, yet then it gets changed every single time, normally major changes. It is the stupidest and most inefficient process on the face of the earth that I have ever seen. And people wonder why I want nothing to do with big D1 universities once I'm done, but I keep that on the down low because it's not cool with the department. They actually think that this is normal, or at least not worth investigating. The bad news is that I'm so far in to change would set me back years. It's a massive sunk cost. I just need to get three studies published, and in my field this shouldn't be a problem, but in my lab it is. I got handed my topic in the first place because of my technical background in maths, which no one else here has. Oddly enough, that doesn't stop my supervisor from arguing methodological issues with me, yet he sends any visiting people who want to learn how we do our lab protocol to me and never discusses it with them. The logic of more or less everything in this place is lost on me. I've been doing revisions on this one study on and off for four years. It's like trying to make a purse out of a pig's ear. But my only option now is to drop it and start over. Well, I suppose you mean the only other option now is to drop it and start over, and it yet may still come to that. The other studies are similar. They are unpublishable shit, and I have no room to move, and like I said, sunk cost. I've thought of every option imaginable, but I have no leverage. That's that word again. Mm. I even said once I was thinking of dropping out, and he just said, make sure you have all your data turned in. After six years... Isn't part of his job to at least try to talk me out of doing that? Either way, I will find some way to finish, but each day gets harder. Far out. That is harsh. Now, this where, is a character. Where do you begin? This is a character we've seen in a few places. This is the ditherer. Mm. This is the person who, in a rational organization, this is obviously someone who is. A, a a fairly rare breed, but not unknown, which is a tenured idiot. 
No, this is you can you can laugh, sir, but these people are real. This person has a work habits of Genghis Khan, and they probably did some good shit for the first I don't know six years, eight years, something like that. They got everything sorted out, and then they've just stayed in the same place, and they've just been circling the drain. They they bring in a lot of students. They get some stuff funded, you know. They get some rolling grants going, but they're just the normal work processes. Uh, you know, you mm. collect bad data, you palm it off onto someone, you tell them what to do, you continually change your own mind, you continually come back to a, oh, I, this is the one I, I, all of these really, they get me in a, like a, oh, it's not just the, the, the intellectual appreciation of something being difficult. What the hell was that? Ah, uh, <laughs> We can we can uh, maybe edit that out later. No, you've got to leave it in because that was you, you monumental clown. Yeah, um, <laughs> that was, was the, uh, that was that was from from uh, from last week's track, which I forgot to mute. Oh, yeah. it's adorable. I like it. Um, yeah. Well, it has to stay now because we've recorded too much text over the top of it. I hope yep. you're happy with yourself. Um, <laughs> the uh, look, I was saying, look, you you inter- you appreciate this, you hear it, there's a story, and you understand the frustration the guy might involve. But I mean, yeah. when you know people who've been like this, and you see people who've got nothing done, and you know that to make this process work, this is it a guy or a girl? I don't think this one. I don't think it said. No, this is just a uh, this. I'm gonna to have to go person. This person is just stuck. And that's the thing, like, yeah, that's the best description. Absolutely stuck. Already committed so much stuff in there. Uh, so already committed oh. so much uh, work into their PhD. Um, what was it? Six years in. Yeah, sixth year, sixth oh. year PhD student. Like that's it, pretty uncommon. It must be that it must be either part time. It must be part time and or unfunded. Yeah, yeah. So because you, know, right. you, you it's like six years. Like even if you went in and wrote a word every single day, in, in say like one. Oh, today I'm doing and. Okay, I'm knocking off. Uh, you know, you'd have a short paper in six yeah. years. Oh damn. Okay, I gotta get a break and get a glass of water and get that one out of my head. Doesn't that one give you the just the this kind of weird? That simultaneous horror deja vu kind of feeling. Yeah, yeah. Oh, man, it sucks hearing about these stories. Yeah, well, I've got two more, so strap yourself in. Let's let's take a break. Let's do it. Welcome back to the Everything Hurts podcast, episode 13, where we're talking about everything that's wrong in your PhD. Well, specifically, everything that's wrong in the stories of people who are doing a PhD who send us their horror stories. Will we make it specific to PhD, or was it anyone with an I academic I, horror story? I think it was anyone, but um, it's, it sounds like most of the stuff we've gotten in are from PhD students. Yeah, well, apart from my first story, which obviously uh, wasn't sent to me, it's from uh, the, the, groaning, the groaning sack of rancid turds that is the Gorka website. Uh, everything else I think is about a PhD. Either either it's because I am of the age where people who know me have completed this process successfully without dying, regardless of these awful circumstances, or because lots of terrible things happen during PhDs. Anyway, let's do our let's do our mailbox and hello to people. Uh, hello, people. That's my contribution. I don't use Twitter. <laughs> Fuck Twitter, Daniel. <laughs> Thanks for uh, thanks for all your tweets. Uh, you can if you don't follow us already, you can follow us on at Hertz Podcast. Uh, so I've had a, a few a few retweets. Um, we also had um, a few great tweets from the Equator Network. Now these are this is a group that I haven't actually heard of before, but I have now. And what they do is their goal is to bring together a whole set of reporting guidelines. You know, you you have your your common reporting guidelines like um, like Prisma. Um, hmm, yep. meta-analyses, consort for clinical trials. Um, but um, they've actually collated, I think it's over 300 sets of reporting guidelines. Wow. Um, yeah. Really? Heaps of different stuff, like everything you can imagine, like really random stuff. But p- when people put out a publication of reporting guidelines, um, they add it to their database. Um, they have a bit of information on the guidelines. It's, it's fantastic. 
Oh, um, right. So are we in it now? We we are going to be in it um, in a week that's cool. or two. Yes, that's really so, cool. Like, uh, so the consort, consort diagram and... Um, the, sorry, the, the the whole the thing with the um, the, the the list, the uh, trial design, participant yeah, yeah. intervention, so, diagnosis, all the, the the like how to correctly report all the stuff, all the uh, stuff. in a number of contexts is what they collate. Exactly. For That's pretty cool. That sounds it's like really my kind cool. of back. So basically, the idea is you're getting into a new research area. You're not sure whether there are reporting guidelines. You hop on the Equator website put in some search terms and then it'll actually get back to you with whoa do you know what that is it's what? a meta meta archive it is a meta meta archive and i love it i love it so they're you just um, you just like meta stuff don't you yeah yeah meta human so they're, they're doing some I, I think they're based in the uk i could be wrong there but they're doing some great work and they came across our reporting guidelines i'm, I'm sure they've got some um uh, email alerts for papers with guidelines in the title or whatever yeah um but uh yeah they they are also as well as retweeting our graph paper they're also tweeting about their um uh um our podcast which was talking about our graph paper from last week so thank you to the equator network uh as well hmm. we, we also um you know we do have an email address everything hurts podcast at gmail.com and i uh, got a great email this week um and it uh, it says uh, I've been listening to your podcast, a few of the episodes, and I like it a lot. Um, uh, oh, this is obviously addressed to me. Uh, your colleagues' snarky ranting, in tandem with your sobriety, is very radio friendly. <laughs> dead cat <laughs> uh, I, I think yeah, I think yeah, I think it was a bit tongue in cheek um, but um, yeah there, there's our new uh, there's our new bio oh oh <laughs> <laughs> No, I, I, this I, I actually, the, the I actually... problem. The problem is that this is largely born of the time difference. I think if you went back and you took a minute of every podcast, by the way, I sound. You can tell, you can tell whether time or of day. Not it's first thing in the morning or whether it's sort of late afternoon here and it's night in Norway. Yeah. Because um, sometimes we've recorded a podcast, it's been about eight in the morning and I wake up fine, but I wouldn't say a lot of the time I wake up in an amazing mood. You're like, you're like an old car, it just takes a while to... Uh to warm up yeah well you know i don't i don't sleep much so i go to bed late and i get up relatively early but uh i can't seem to stop that uh my phd kind of broke my sleep cycle so i guess i'm just a prick uh that's really very <laughs> funny thank you uh mysterious benefactor who tells yeah. terrible truths no I, I i actually i actually do do know this guy um i met him, met him once or twice all right don't don't um, don't dob him in I'm not going to dob him in, um, but uh, no, nah, he's, uh, he's he's a, he's, a, he's a great researcher as well. So you know who you are. Thank you, thank you for your email. Thank you from the snarky man. <laughs> 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 All right, oh, fantastic. So yeah. uh, back to depressing everyone, hey? Yeah. yeah. So we are looking at um, academic horror stories for this episode, and um, let's um, purely for the fact that. You know, I, I remember. Do you remember the um the old folk singer Jack Johnson? Do you remember that guy? Jack Johnson. Jack Johnson. He was big in the two thousands. He um he did a lot of that sort of remember that kind of folksy surf rock type stuff. Just him and a guitar. Jack Johnson was hey. a boxer. <laughs> Maybe he's got a few talents. But there was no dude. Was a... He was a he was a, a boxer in like nineteen. 19- Ten? <laughs> sure, I'm sure he was. He was a he's a famous uh, he's a famous heavyweight. He was a, a, a famous um uh, sort of uh, a turn of the turn of the century sort of uh, heavyweight, and uh, well, he he fought he fought um he fought Jim Jeffries and um like uh, damn before the, the second world war he's a very 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 famous uh, you know the boxing used to be segregated way back in the day it was back then yeah yeah well it's not it's not that guy 
But there was this artist, Jack Johnson, did all, did all this folksy stuff. And um, his thing was, you know, that his, um, his experiences were actually, you know, quite good in his life. And uh, he had nothing to sing about. So he took the experiences from, from his mates and from, from what he'd heard about. So it's almost the same case here that we're talking about this and we're talking about these horror stories because um, we're, we're, we're lucky in our sense that we don't really have that many horror stories. So that's why we've reached out to people to, um, to, to get these stories and to get them sent in. So we're hitting our third story now. Oh, but he sounds like a scruffy white twat. Well, he, he is white. Uh, <laughs> and uh, he, he, was, he was good for what he did. Was he? he went, to a few, went to a few of his gigs. Did you? Yeah, that kind of folksy him and a guitar type business. Yeah, look, um, the kind of thing that you'd you'd never listen to yourself. That's not necessarily true. All right, let's um, I'm before before <laughs> before the next episode, I'm going to send you the best of Jack Johnson, and um, you know, I, I yeah, and we'll, we'll see what you think. Oh, okay. Well, before the next episode, I am going to send you the most recent album by the Russian slam brutal death metal band Abominable Putridity. Then we can we can we can compare notes. Fine. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. Okay. We've now reached a point where uh, no one is going to care about the outcome of this about us, and it's going to be hugely funny uh, to two people, and they're both in this conversation. So <laughs> I'm just going to start reading this horrible story. Do it. The lab heads were a husband and wife team, not uncommon in our area of science. He was very successful and enormously hard-headed, really difficult to be around. She was not a moron, that's always a good start, but one of those people with a talent for useless details which was so profound as to actually be a major problem. She was desperately unproductive and would corner grad students and talk for hours about details of protocols that just didn't matter. Their publishing practices were desperately unethical. They credit took, uh, with a hyphen, credit took, I don't know if you could say that, but whatever, they credit took savagely, relegating students to minor authors on their own work. They bullied people into spending more bench time than was healthy, sadly also pretty normal in this area. There was a student who did more than a year's worth of work on a, a series of experiments and they stiff-armed her into not presenting this work at conferences then they took it off her wholesale and wrote it up themselves oh. they kept people powerless deliberately it was classic exploitation they let you fail then patronized you when you got something wrong i left work early one time capitals and they exploded into a shower of sparks and i got a double dressing down they had no interest whatsoever in developing researchers, none, zero. They didn't invest in people. We were automatons who were paid, not well, I might add, to collect their data and make them look good. The atmosphere was terrible, and we only survived through structured and organized bitching sessions. No joke, we made appointments to do this because it kept everyone sane and it helped us communicate how priorities would be in a normal place of work. The postdocs who had worked elsewhere were capable of keeping the rest of us grounded. I left quickly before they could sink my career, uh, as did some other people. I saw a few people crash and burn in this place. Their careers never even had a chance to get off the ground. Wow, so it sounds like this person actually was able to, um, was in a situation where they could leave and go elsewhere. Um... Yeah, uh, I'm going to talk about this hypothetically, but I know the I know the backstory here. Uh, in some systems, when you have a fellowship that's awarded to you personally, you can go anywhere you want, and the money is administered through the money comes straight from the government and is administered through mm-hmm. the local department, which funnels it onto you. So if you find somewhere else that'll take you, and you say, "I'm not going to work here. I'm going to work over there." Middle finger, pound sand, I'm off ski, and you leave, there's nothing they can do. So yeah. the freedom that that allows you in that case, I mean, obviously that's a, the, the best thing about having funding that moves with you rather than funding that's with an institution. I mean, if your boss is a prick and the funding is awarded to your boss specifically to work on a task, you're stuck. If the funding's awarded to you to do a specific project, where you do the project is up to you. And once everything is moving... Uh, within the same institution or within the same state or even within the same uh, country or 
of like financial zone, I imagine between labs and the EU would probably be straightforward if you had a, a funding from a ERA or a similar European research funding agency. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's a that's like a that's a like a, a dodge to bullet sort of situation. That gives you like I've seen so many people's situation change from um, them being employed under someone else's funding. Mm. And then they win, they and they get treated pretty poorly. And then the moment they get their own funding, the situation completely changes because the person in charge knows that um, they can actually leave at the drop of a hat and take their money elsewhere. So it's yeah, uh, well, m- makes a difference. Yeah, here's here's but, the third uh, appearance of this word for this podcast again: leverage. Yeah, it's um, and this one when it comes to authorship. It just seems so much worse than the first example we're talking about, because the first one was somebody taking credit and jumping on a paper which may not have deserved it. But, this but the paper, was the paper case. went out. That's that's like tail writing. This is thievery. Yeah, yeah. Now, look, the, the, to some extent, you have to make your peace with tail writing to some extent because there are things that you just get from uh, people who run labs or who are senior to you. That you may not that may may seem trivial, but are actually a thing. You need yeah. basic funding to uh, apportion the shit you need. You need uh, you need someone whose ass is on the line when it comes to saying where your ethics goes. You need someone who's like will correct even like really cursory sort of looks at what you're doing. But they still make a difference. Yeah, and the worst part, the part that I resent most of all, obviously, is when you put famous Malone's paper. When you put Famous Malone's name on the paper, it it looks better. People are more inclined to take it seriously, et cetera, et cetera, um, which is just desperately stupid. But, you know, it it makes a difference. If you're talking about really technical stuff where you've got no hope of uh, being able to physically check everything, I mean, peer review to some extent requires trust, an element of trust, yeah? Yeah, yeah. Um, so you can confer that trust on the basis of having someone on the paper. So you may get an easier run of it if it's a matter of, you know, like gifting some relatively senior person authorship. So that kind of brinksmanship is, is dishonest, but it's dishonest rather than dickish. Yeah. Well, this this is way of... into dick territory. Yeah, it's... um. This this is something that um, you know I have heard of more more so, um, but um, it still is um, it's just bad because when it comes for a PhD, like your currency is these first authorships. Yep. So if you're putting the work in and then the last moment getting pulled off it, it's just bad. Like it's it's you're killing people's careers by doing this. Yep. And and what do these people need first authorships for if they're senior Well, it's, it's the you know it's the whole idea that it becomes your personal brand. You roll it in, it you know it it goes into your yeah, yeah, grant yeah, application. We need some funding to do X Y Z. Me personally, I've already done A B C D E. You know. Yeah. So, it's uh, yeah, this is uh, and people would you know. We, we we talk about structural problems in science. There's, there's not enough jobs. There's not enough money. There's not enough uh, ex- the, becoming a researcher external to the academic process is difficult, etc., etc. But let's not pretend there's not a lot of human problems. It's an awful mm. lot of people who who got into it in the first place who really shouldn't be employed as dog catchers. And I don't mean that on a skills basis. I mean that in a you wouldn't talk to them in a pub sort of test. And mm. that can, I mean, depending on how closely you have to work with them and what you have to do, that can, in some sense, count for a great deal. Yeah, yeah. You I mean you, 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 minimum three years, you're working closely with them. Yeah. Um, and it's just, um, yeah, it's it's nuts to also hear about, you know, people. Oh, I haven't spoken to my supervisor in two months or in three mm. months. Um, man, that's uh, that's harsh. Yeah, I remember uh, when I got all my PhD stuff sorted out and um i was running the lab and getting my uh getting my phd stuff stuck together and doing other uh ancillary work stuff working on separate papers 
and I had to fill a form out. It's like, how often do you talk to your supervisor? And it went all the way from sort of like a weekly and I went all the way down through to sort of never and there were six, seven options or something. And I was filling the form out. Someone says, what's the problem? And I go, well, it's a lot more often than weekly, obviously. Mm. And I was like, well, what do you mean? I go, well, it's 3 p.m. So today, uh, I guess twice. And they're like, oh, um, yeah, we'll just put weekly. That's, that's fine. <laughs> so the, the expectations, the expectations uh, change dramatically between uh, different circumstances and different people. But, you know. Uh, yeah. Well, um, that that gives everything a, a a sobering sort of collective perspective to work on, doesn't it? Uh, no, it does. Well, if anyone's got any more, um, I want to I want to chuck them into ongoing episodes, like every now and then, if I've got one yeah. that comes in. If someone mentions to me they've got a particularly yeah. bad one, I'll Hoover it up. Um, but but thanks. Thanks to the people who have actually. You read my stuff, mind. Really. Thank you. Thank you very much for uh, for your stories. This is uh, it goes into the uh, honest information that they they're never going to write that on a university pamphlet, are they? <laughs> <laughs> Come to the university of whatever. We have the finest nineteen fifties sweaty palmed dickhead tyrants you could ever possibly hope to meet. <laughs> Who will grind down your self-esteem and turn you into five foot and four inches of human putty and a pair of loafers? Yeah, that'll, they'll, that'll they'll be lining in. up in the hallway when they when they find out what an <laughs> arsehole they'll be working with. And on that note, on that cheery note, um, let's go and get drunk. <laughs> well, <laughs> it is eleven thirty here, so perhaps. Damn. Until next. Until time. next time. Bye. Bye-bye.